Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities. And hey man, it's about that time to freshen up your gear. Spring is here. It's time to get out of those running tights and into some warmer gear. And Mercury Mile is the best place to do it. They have just the top brands around, stuff you've heard of, and some stuff that you haven't. And that's the best part, is that you do not need to be up to date on all things running related. They will send you a box of goodies, usually four to six items, and you'll keep what you love. You send back what you don't. And you can save $10 by using code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout. Just go to mercurymile.com, enter your sizes and preferences, use the code at checkout, and you will be good to go. So, this episode is with Susan Loken. Susan is an absolute stud and a wonderful person on top of that. She is a three-time Olympic trials qualifier and four-time Masters championship runner. She's also an excellent coach. So much good information in this episode. Um, man, I feel like we could just talk about Susan's background for like two hours, but I didn't want to do all that. I wanted to provide updated information on what she's doing now because even though she's in her 50s and killing it, you know, she's just continuing to strive for bigger and better things. It really is an inspiration to anybody, and I couldn't wait to get her on the show. So I hope you like this episode with Susan Loken. Hello, Susan, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Susan, I'm so glad to have you on. That's for sure. You've done so many amazing things over your running career. I chronicled some of them in the intro. Not all of them, Lord knows. Don't wanna, don't, I don't want to like do the podcast before the podcast, but I'm so excited to have you on, especially now we've got Boston Marathon Week. Um, this is such an exciting week for so many runners What's it like for you, obviously, on the other end of the country, but you have so many people who you know that are running this race and you've been out here. What's it like for you this week and just seeing the excitement in the air? You know what? I mean, there's nothing more exciting than Boston because Boston is so many people's personal or so many runners' personal Olympics. Everybody's um, a lot of people have spent years trying to qualify. So they are going to their Olympics. And I'm fortunate to where I get a coach. We have about 13 of um, BTB runners going. And so I get to live through them, the experience um, of Boston, the anticipation, um, and then also on Boston Marathon, or actually next Monday on Boston Marathon Day. So it's super exciting. It really is. So you mentioned BTB, that's uh, Believe, Train, Become. That's your coaching service. And, it and is, much, yep. And much more than that. So when you're prepping, I can't wait to talk about your background, but when you're prepping your athletes for their Boston Marathon, obviously each plan is going to be specific to them but what are some of the key points that you try to get across to the group well um that is a especially for the boston because the boston is such a unique course um meaning that it's point to point you can have a tailwind a headwind the whole entire time um temperatures change temperatures can be great they can be bad it's hilly and so um i basically will really tell them that it's not their fitness it's their execution that's going to make their day and so it doesn't matter how fit they are. If they execute it improperly, they're going to have a bad day. So really um, encourage them to start off nice and easy. You know, take advantage of that. You know, the first down, the first five are kind of downhill. Well, they, they say it's downhill, but I've ran it. I swear to God, it's uphill too. 
So, <laughs> but anyway, so just take the first um, five miles a little bit easier and then five to 16, really focus. And you have to know what marathon pace feels like in order to execute a good Boston, because you're always going up or down, up or down. And so go by marathon pace, feel up the hills and down the hills, um, be ready to be mentally tough or tough through the Newton Hills, you know, 16 through 21, I believe are the Newton Hills. Um, just again, stick to your pace feel and then the race really starts at mile 22, 22 to 26. That's race time. That's where all the dreams are going to be made. They're broken in the beginning if you don't execute right. And they're made at the end if you execute properly. Exactly. I, I love that. And I know some every coach has their different take on certain things. Um, what is your what is your, um, I guess, response or your own opinion when you have an athlete who's thinking about trying to take advantage of those early miles to kind of either bank time or to kind of like, you know, go below their marathon pace to try to, um, I guess, take advantage of that downhill and that excitement? Um, Well, I say to go by effort and you may end up about 10 seconds per mile faster on the downhill, long as your effort isn't any harder than marathon pace. And um, there is no such thing as banking time. I'm sorry, that's false. (laughs) It's been proven over and over again that you have to run conservative and really you know, really dole out that energy slowly through the marathon. So that last 10 K you have the energy and mental power to race the last 10 K. Right. And I think that you use the optimum word there about racing the last 10 K where I feel like a lot of people, you're, you know, our host included <laughs> basically <laughs> survived the final 10 K in the past. How have your, your own marathon experiences, you've run so many of them. How has your own experiences kind of like mirrored your coaching advice here in terms of like learning um, from either mistakes or learning from some of your, your positive points to the, to where there you can now give out the kind of, Uh, advice that you give out, but also understanding that you've kind of lived it as well. Well, I have done the wrong thing and I have done the right thing. I have suffered and I have finished strong. (laughs) So um, if there's one thing after running 33 marathons, um, there is, there really is a good marathon strategy and a not so good marathon strategy, a proven strategy and um, one that's going to kind of set you up for a very painful last 10 K. And I know that from experience. So um, that's how I kind of coach really from experience. Right. And I feel like it's an easy thing, especially for a lot of marathoners to say is like people who are more novices than anything else, you know, during the first, you know, 13 miles or so to be like, but I was feeling so good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. If I had a nickel for everybody that said that to me, I'd be so rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way at all. And it's almost like, yeah, no kidding, dude. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> if mm-hmm. you don't feel good, then something's wrong. Like, you should be feeling good those first, first 13 miles, right. right? I think that's where it comes in. You really have to believe in your um, plan and your training. And if you don't have that faith and that belief in yourself, your, your plan and your training, um, then you're probably going to go out too fast. But if you have, you know, if you understand that you have to kind of hold back a little bit, focus in the middle, and then you can go for it at the end, and that's how you're going to have a spectacular day then I think you can succeed. I love it. Yes. What, what advice I'm going to do another, I'm going to do a, a Boston marathon prep episode later in the week. So I don't want to, you know, dive fully into this last thing though. Um, especially because the runners you coach, especially if they're local to where you are, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're getting on an airplane and flying out here. So what are you telling them in terms of what to pack for race day? 
That is a good question. Um, I thought I had my runners so prepared last year, um, but we weren't quite prepared because that weather was absolutely awful. <laughs> and so as far as packing goes, um, bring everything. Um, you can go to Boston. They give you a clear bag that you can bring on the bus. I mean, bring a tarp, bring a poncho, um, bring super. You do not want to be cold at the start of the Boston Marathon. So bring as many throwaway clothes as you can. Um, layer, layer, layer. Um, it sounds like it might be chilly on Monday. And if it is, you know, and rainy, you know, just make sure you have, you know, something over your head to protect your face. Um, gloves on so you stay warm. Uh, wind, a windbreaker, or I should say a raincoat on to make sure you stay dry. And those things you can wrap around your waist if you need to, or you can even toss them as you're running. So I would just say bring more than not enough, be over-prepared. So I always tell everybody um, plan for success or prepare for hard conditions and plan for success, prepare for the worst plan for success. There you go. I love it. And like you said, you've lived it because you weren't (laughs) exactly, you, you, you've experienced a lot of things. And I feel like your experiences started later in the process as compared to some of your contemporaries and some of the people that you've, you know, raced hard against and kind of are your racing peers. Um, let's just go right, right, right down to like, you know, when you were in your twenties, what were you doing in your life and where did athletics fit in? Well, you know, you can kind of break down my life in decades. So in my twenties, I was a career person. Um, I had my first actually two kids and I was a traveling sales rep traveled the whole entire United States for a company called Easy Spirit Shoes and was key account manager for Nordstrom. So I was a career person and had two young kids. By the time I was in my 30s, um, it was really hard to be that career person and raise two kids. So I was a stay-at-home mom in my 30s. And that's when running was introduced to me in my mid-30s. It was because I still had that ambition and that goal mindset. I needed to do something for myself, but I also wanted to stay home with my kids. So I found that's when I discovered running in my mid thirties. And that was my outlet of finding self-fulfillment and goals for myself, but yet still having all the time to um, be a stay home mom. So my thirties were a stay home mom and discovering running. And then my forties were, um, a working mom, a single mom and running at a pretty high level. (laughs) And then my fifties are coaching and running as high level as I can in my fifties. I love it how you peaked in your forties, which mm-hmm. is like obviously for a lot of people that's like anathema to their 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 way of thinking. I know it certainly is for me. So it really is a very interesting story. And when you got into running seriously in your thirties, how quickly did you evolve from hey, this is something I want to do for me, and I can get out there and you know just be active into something that you were having serious goals attached to your running? Um, well, I started running in my mid thirties after my third son was born. And so I was just, I guess, a recreational runner learning and meeting new friends. And by the time I was probably about 38, I realized I had a little bit of ability in running. And so that sparked a lot of motivation. And so really by the time I was in my late thirties, well, I, by the time I was 39, my goal was to qualify for the Olympic trials in 2004. And so that I is went... <laughs> such a quick, that is so quick, right? It's like you started running at 35, 39, you're like Olympic trials. I mean, what does that say about your gen- just natural genetic ability? Obviously you are a very hard worker, but we all are born with different genetics as well. 
So right. if you could, think, like, if you look back and say, okay, obviously you had some genetic gifts. If you could pick this up in your thirties and then quickly move into, I want to try, I want to you know, qualify for the Olympic trials here. What do you think? Um, how much of this is say genetic component that you just feel like you were, were given gifts and then how much of it was like capitalizing and putting in the work on those gifts to make such a quick move from newbie runner to running at a very high level? Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, obviously, we we all have our own special top limits, right? And I was discovering that mine was, you know, Olympic trial was, would be my top limit. And so I think success breeds success and motivation. And because I was getting a little bit faster, and of course, I think I probably had a higher VO2 max. Um, and genetically, I'm built like a marathon runner. So then that motivated me to put in the work. And then um, I'm a very focused, goal-driven person. And so once I put my mind on the Olympic trials in 2004, um, that was my focus. And um, I always tell people it takes, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it takes about five years or more to reach your potential. And that's five years of consistent training, of consistent progress. And so that's why I don't think I reached my peak until my mid-40s, because my mid-30s, I was discovering running, running. I didn't really get serious until my late thirties. And then by the early forties, that's when I was consistent with my training. And I think I probably peaked about my, well, I ran my PR at about 45. So what was the key to staying consistent with your training um, at that time? Obviously, as you mentioned, you had three kids and then in your forties, you were a single parent. It Mm -hmm. would have been really easy to not stay consistent. Right. Um, I think it was just the goals. I absolutely loved what I was doing and my passion for running turned into my purpose. And my purpose was inspiring and helping other people to find a healthy outlet to become happier people. Um, well, happier runners and happier people. So, um, I think my passion turned into my purpose and that's all I needed. If you have a why for why you're doing things every morning, when I wake up, you know, look at what I'm supposed to do that day. I'm excited to get out of bed. I'm excited to train. I'm excited to become better not just for myself, but for the people that I coach, um, as an example for my children, as an example for my grandchildren now. So there's a lot of um, purpose and why behind it. Which is hysterical, considering that you were the girl who used to skip gym class. <laughs> I know. I had no idea that I liked to be a runner, or I didn't even know that I liked to exercise until I was in my mid-30s. <laughs> that is so wild to me. I always thought that, like, I knew your background in terms of, like, the 20s, you were a career woman, 30s, you started running, and I just assumed that, you know, like there was this gap there, but like maybe in high school or late middle school, you were just some killer athlete who just decided to, to hang it up for a while. Nope, not at all. So um, it wasn't even on my radar. So I did everything I could to skip gym class. I didn't want to mess up my beautiful blonde curly hair. So um, uh, that was not my focus, but it is now and it, it has been for 20 years now. <laughs> so when you got your first Olympic trials qualifier. Mm-hmm. What was that feeling like in terms of reaching this monumental goal, but now knowing the fact that you just continue to strive after that? Like how much of, would you reach that goal? Was it what you thought it would be? Um, honestly, when I reached that goal, I was still pretty new to running. And um, my, the first time I qualified for Olympic trials, it was with a 244. And I really didn't know what that meant, but it was a, friend of mine at the time a new friend it was at the tucson marathon and she came up she was jumping all over and she's like you're world class i'm like i am what does that mean world class she's like you just ran a 244 marathon and i don't think i really 
had a true understanding what that time meant or what world-class or even the Olympic trials meant at that time. It was just a number and something to strive for. Um, and I think as I got, became a more mature runner and understood the running world a little bit better, then I really appreciated um, what I was able to accomplish and then really wanted to help other people accomplish that. And where were you living at that time? In Phoenix. Um, I, didn't, I, I grew up in Seattle and we moved to Phoenix um, when I was in my mid-30s. And that's when I discovered running because I was a stay-at-home mom for the first time. Um, Phoenix is always beautiful weather and I needed to get outside. I had a lot of energy and that goal mindset that I needed to use. And since I wasn't working, I found running as the outlet for that. And what was the running community like for you? And how do you compare to the top runners and top women runners in the area? Um, at that time, um, that's where I kind of found my niche and I found my tribe, so to speak. I mean, everybody needs a tribe. And when I first moved to Phoenix, you know, I tried the PTA, I tried neighbor friends, and I just really didn't fit in and felt like me anywhere. And then I started hanging out with these runners. Um, the club was called the Banditos at the time. And my coach was Brett Schumacher. And as soon as I met these girls, they were all trying for Olympic trials. And Brett was so supportive and enthusiastic about my goals. I knew I'd found my tribe and um, had no idea that 20 years later that I'd have this running tribe really worldwide. I mean, runners, you can go anywhere, any city, anytime and find a group of runners and you have a group of friends. It is the best life and world ever. Now, did you have someone in your life at that point or even maybe more than one person who saw the running potential that you had and that kind of helped, you know, kind of kind of spur you on to achieving it or were you more self-driven? Um, both, to be quite honest. Um, I really wasn't, didn't really know about the Olympic trials and, you know, the time standards and all that. And it was my first group, which was the Brett Banditos and Brett Schumacher, who was my first coach. And I, oh, oh my gosh, he believed in me. He taught me um, kind of who I wanted to become and helped guide me through so much in those beginning years um, that he really changed my life. And so I, I would think it was Brett Schumacher and the Brett Banditos that really put me in that running direction and helped me set goals. And they saw the potential in me long before I did. And it's so interesting to me that you were hitting, you said you got your PR when you were 45. So you're hitting your stride um, a little bit later than maybe some of the other people who are listening to this podcast, or maybe people who are trying to rekindle PRs that are kind of a decade in the past. So what was your training like, you know, late thirties, early forties compared to say, you know, people who are in their you know, early to mid twenties, like what did you have to do differently in terms of prep or stretching or cross training or things like that, that you felt like your body may have needed that maybe someone who was half your age may not have needed at that point. Um, well, that's a good question. I don't really know because I mean, when I was in first started running in my thirties and my forties, you got to remember my body was pretty new to running. That's true. And so yeah. I was able to kind of go out the door to be honest. I was able to slack a little bit on the stretching and the prehab and everything. So what I can compare that to is my 40 self and my 50 self. <laughs> I can give you that comparison. Um, in my forties, I think I was able to get away with more, um, as far as like, I still did some strength training, but I wasn't as diligent. I still did some prehab, but I wasn't as diligent. And now in my fifties, in order to stay injury free and try to reach my peak this decade, I have got to do pre-run exercises. I have to do post-run exercises. I have to do massage therapy. Um, I'm working with my PT right now on a new strength training program to get me ready for grandma's. 
um, I can skip nothing, but I was able to skip a little bit more in my 40s. So I'm assuming if you're comparing my 40s to 20-year-olds, it's probably the same thing. Right. Um, maybe so. Yeah, I mean, and you're, and you're super strong. So that's what, part of the reason I asked, because it's obvious that you spend time doing this. So what does your strength training look like now? Um, my strength training, I do a lot of, um, I, I, my company, BTB, we married with um, triplex training and it's functional strength training. So I'll do that three times a week. So that is an overall body workout, just functional movements that are going to help me in all three planes of motion. And so any imbalances that I have, it helps strengthen that. And right now um, I'm coming off of a seven month hamstring injury. And so I have a lot of personal weaknesses that my physical therapist, Renee Hodges, and I are working on. So it just never ends. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when you're at full strength with your hamstring and you're able to do your normal running workout schedule, you know, your long runs, your, you know, your, your quality sessions and your easy runs, how do you segment your week in terms of the, the, kind of like the, the strength training days and how do they align with the workout days? Um, well, kind of like what I tell my runners, I mean, we all have life, so we have to fit the strength training in when we can, but I will tell them if you have to skip a run and do your strength training, do your strength training, because it's not going to do you any good to get to that starting line with an injury. Right. And so the way I structure mine is Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'll do, um, functional strength training in a full hour. And then every day before my run, I'll do, I have a little glute activation, uh, series that I'll do. And then afterwards I'll do some dynamic stretching. And if you ever, and maybe you don't slack on this, so maybe you can't answer this question, but I know I'm a slacker, so I feel like uh -huh. I'm asking for my own benefit. If you end up slacking on your lifting sessions, do you, how quickly do you notice it in your running? Well, for me right now, immediately, I think that's what happened to me. Um, I don't think, I actually know. Um, last summer, when I injured my hamstring again in July, it's because I was running, I just ran a 121 half marathon. I was so excited. I was training for Berlin. I was reaching my peak in my fifties, what I felt. And I think I was slacking a little bit on my um, strength training and I got injured. So I guess you're never too old to learn. Um, you can never slack. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I still make that mistake. Well, I'm not going to make that mistake again, but um, you just, I think it's in everybody's best interest. I don't care if you're 30, 40, 50, I don't care what decade you're in. Strength training is important because we all are going to have muscle imbalances. We're not, you know, your right glute's not going to be as equally strong as your left glute and, you know, quads, hamstrings, whatever. So I think it's really important to strengthen everything if you want to become your strongest runner, the strongest runner you can be, your personal best. Right. And it's such a, it's such a unique thing because this, the act of running, it doesn't feel like you're using a ton of, you know, I know you are using a ton of muscles, but especially if you're doing it out on an easy run. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel like you're activating your whole body. You're kind of shuffling along, you know, just making it work. And it's, it's so interesting that you see people who will like, you know, taking on a variety of different strength lifting things, you know, strength, strength training, whether it's the functional usage or whether it's the people who do the lift heavy mantra and you know, different things work for different people. But it really, it seems like that once people get into the weightlifting as a supplement and complement to their running, they almost never stop. It's like, once you get in, you get hooked to it. Right. I think a lot of people realize, I mean, runners are masters of compensation. You know, if you have like, for instance, myself, I have a weak right glute or I don't an inactive right glute. But for years, I was able to still run really strong because I was a master at compensating for that. And we all are until we're not. <laughs> and then when we're not, that's when we get injured. So um, 
if anybody gets anything from this podcast, I hope that they get before they're injured, do the prehab, do the strength training so it doesn't happen. So you don't have to compensate while you're running. So how did you find out that you had that glute issue? Was it just by, getting injured? Exactly. Yep. By my right hamstring. Oh, and it started, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of been my nemesis ever since, well, in 2010, right before um, when I was training for the Olympic trials in 2012 um, was the first time it kind of went out. And it's been my ongoing um, problem child ever since. So what about your glute? flares up the hamstring um just not activating and overusing my glute and pulling and i'll internally rotate with my right knee when i'm running and so i guess that's a running form issue too and so my glute medius isn't pulling my leg my right knee out so um it's just something i have to be consciously aware of and then do a lot of single leg squats and uh, single leg and strengthening that right side well well, without forgetting about the left side obviously right no absolutely so do you do a lot of you know, single leg, um, or even, even with the upper body, like trying to make it as like as isolated as possible, just so that you're not compensating even when you're doing the strength training. Exactly. And then when I'm doing the, um, like the, my physical therapy exercises, I'll do them in front of a mirror because even if I'm not watching myself, I'll even notice how I'm, I'm cheating a little bit. My knee will go in to kind of help me squat down or lift myself back up. And so I have to really consciously think about, okay, use your glute, you know, squeeze that glute to come up rather than you know, pushing that knee in and overusing that hamstring. Right. And here you are, man, you're coming back from the hamstring injury. You're working yes. hard. Yes. And you just, you just ran the LA marathon. And I love this. I love how you're like, you're getting back into it because you have this huge goal. So I want to talk about this, the world marathon major age group championships. Give us some background on what this is and how you got involved in it from the start. Well, it is a brand new uh, thing that the world marathon majors are having. It is in London in 2020. I first found out about it when I was training for the Berlin Marathon last year. Actually, a, a couple of the people that I coach wanted to do Berlin Marathon. So we put together a group. There's about 14 of us that signed up for Berlin. And as I was doing the research on Berlin Marathon, I saw this World Marathon Major Championship. I'm like, well, what is this? And what it's doing is it's trying to promote age group um, because there are so many more age groupers nowadays and there's so many people into the marathon and it's going to give everybody over 40 a chance to compete at a higher level than we normally would. And so you have to run two of the qualifying marathons, which would be any of the world majors. And then there's a list of qualifying marathons and LA marathon was one of them. So it was grandma's where you can accumulate points. So if you run two marathons before, um, the qualifying window ends, which is this coming September at the Berlin marathon, you can win, I think it's 4,000 points if you get first in your age group. Um, and then you have to run faster than there's a, a time too. So you can't just go and, you know, run a 330 because nobody else showed up and win and get your points. You still have to run faster than their time, which I think is like a 310. But anyway, and so I saw that and I'm always looking for goals. I'm not, I, I can't qualify for the, I, I hate that word, can't. Um, it doesn't seem possible that I can qualify for the Olympic trials again. So I need something that really makes me excited and my heart jump a goal that sings to me. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And it just makes me really excited. So, um, and I'm 55 now. And so I just won my age group, um, in around a 255 in LA. So that gave me points. And so I have one more, um, which will be grandma's and then I'll uh, get points there. And hopefully that'll qualify me for the world age group championship next April. And then they break it up 40 and up. So it's 40 to 45, you know, 45 to 49, the same as age group. And then if you win that in, um, at the London Marathon, then you are the World Age Group Championship. 
our champion. And um, to me, that is super exciting and drives me and motivates me every single day. That is awesome. Now, do you know who the best runners in the world are at your age group in the 55 to 59? Matt, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have absolutely no clue. All I know is I can do my very, very best. And that has to be good enough. And See, now so, I'm like, I'm like trying to do the math in my head. because I, I have I had Molly Friel on the show and I've had Jenny Hitchings on the show. Right. And I, I and now I'm sitting here I'm like, wait, hold on. How old are they? Because I know they're like um, have also done amazing things in their own age groups. But right. I think but I, I, I cannot remember. What, what, well, what group Molly is Molly's younger. She's I think she just turned 50, 50 or 51, somewhere around okay. there. So she's not going to be my age group. And then Jenny Hitchens and I are exactly the same age. I think we're like a few weeks apart and she's actually a good friend of mine. Okay. And so our dream is hopefully the both of us will get to the world championship and that we can work off of each other and bring each other to our personal best. Yeah. I mean, between the two of you, she's setting age group records. Like I, it seems I like every know. weekend, for the past, like a year and a half. And then you've yeah. won four masters championships as well. So do you have a, like a friendly rivalry? You just mentioned you're really good friends, but when, when yeah. you have the chance to line up with each other, like, is it, is it pretty exciting for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know for a fact, we both want the best for each other. It's like any other training partner, you know, you get out there and because of her and because of me, I think we're going to bring out the best in each other. And um, honestly, I don't care if I can run a personal best in my fifties um, and come in second, I am thrilled because if she can help bring me to my best and I can help bring her to her best, we have both won. Now, one thing about you that's very clear over time and in this conversation is that not only are you a driven person, you just mentioned every day I wake up, I get so excited for it. You also have this optimism around you. How much of that has been cultivated over time and is something that you, you try hard to stick to versus just your natural inclination and character? Um, to be perfectly honest, I think I've always been kind of a glass half full girl. Um, I think life is more fun that way. And even when I was younger, I'd always, and my husband teases me all the time, I, I kind of look at, you know, life with rose-colored glasses, but I like it that way. Um, you know, I've had a couple things in life that have brought me down, and I let it bring me down for a very short time because it's not fun being down. It's not fun looking at life negatively. And I think you get so much more positive results out of yourself and those around you if you could be positive. Um, so I choose to be that way. And we just heard you on this show say the word can't and you like had this moment of like <laughs> you was like, like I can only imagine what was going through your head but like I felt like those those two those two seconds of silence probably felt like a minute in your head like chastising yourself like I can't say that I can't say that like what about the word can't has such an obvious distaste for you well I just don't believe in that word I can't because I always think find a find a way that you can do something not a reason you can't do something and so just the fact that I said that put a distaste in my mouth because I tried for my fourth Olympic trials. I gave it everything I had and I didn't make it. Um, and I could still continue to try for that. And so I don't want to say that I can't, but I also think that at one point in time in your life, you have to realize if a goal is so hard to get to, you're just banging your head into the wall. And so what I'm going to do is get these other goals going that are kind of out of reach, but still attainable and reach those. And if I reach that one, then I can reach the next one. Then I can reach the next one. And that's a positive way to live rather than always going for that one thing that seems impossible. Keep reaching for those things that are, you know, possible within reach. And that's going to get you to the impossible. Yeah. Because you can set a goal that's so, that's so um, audacious that it can be demotivating. 
Right, right. And I've had so many people come to me, you know, maybe they're four-hour marathoners and I want to qualify for Boston and run a 310 in four months. I'm like, you know what? That is awesome. And let's do that. But let's do this. Let's pick some stepping stone goals to get you there. And let's not put a time frame on that 310 dream goal. Let's get you there. But let's do, let's do a 345 and then let's do a 330 and let's take steps to get to that goal. So you never want to discourage a big goal and you never want to say you can't do that. But let's get positive feedback and some positive results on our way to that dream goal. Right, because you don't want to stamp out the energy that's, mm-hmm. that, that you see when someone brings that to you, but you also don't want to set them up for failure. Right, and we don't know what we're possible. We don't, we don't know what we're capable of. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll run a 245 in my 50s. I don't know, but I'm going to keep striving to be better tomorrow than I am today, better tomorrow than I am today, and let's see where that gets me. But let's, and- not, let's not say I can't. So how did you handle the seven months when you had the injury? Because like you just mentioned, you want to keep getting better every day. Right. But when you're injured, that's inherently not what happened. Not, not, that's inherently not what happened. That's not right. what happened. I just can't even talk. Right? That's not yeah. what's happening in that moment because you're injured. So you're obviously not quite as good as you were before you were injured. Right. So how did you keep that positivity and that optimism when you had I mean, seven months is a long time to be injured. So how did you keep that up during that period? Well, the good thing is, I mean, I always tell people, what are you besides a runner? And besides a runner, I'm a coach and I'm a mom and I'm a grandma and um, I love to travel. And so I think about what I can do. And so, and what I can do as far as getting to that goal too. And that would have been a little bit more strength training. I started swimming. Um, so I thought of things that I could do and I put a little more time into my coaching. And luckily I have, you know, 40 runners that I'm coaching that I can live through um, while I'm, well, not that I'm down, but while I'm working on myself also. And so rather than concentrating on what I can't do and what I've lost in those seven months, I think about what I can do and continue striving, know that I'm going to come out of that, not whole, but come out of that place someday and try to be the strongest person I can when I can actually start running fast again. And one thing you did during that time is you went to E10 in Kenya. So tell me about that trip. That was actually another thing, yes, because I, and when I had my hamstring injury, I was still able to run, um, but just I couldn't run fast because there was a certain pace where my hamstring would start to pull. And Let's put, um, let's put fast in quotes there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and so that was another thing. So I was like, what can I do? And I always want to be a better coach. I always want to be able to pass on lessons to my runners and people around me to help them improve because, um, you know, pay it forward. I have gotten so many gifts out of running, and if I can see other people get those gifts, then that actually makes me happier than any race result that I can get for myself. But anyway, and so this Kenya thing came about with the Kenya experience. And so I'm like, you know what, what better time than right now? I'm going to go to Kenya. I'm going to learn from the best of the best. And I'm going to learn with those coaches. So I got two weeks solid with top-notch, world-class Kenyan runners, Kenyan coaches, um, absorbed all the knowledge, their culture, um, and came back, I think, a better person and a better coach. So, so what it was were the, two weeks well spent. So what were the biggest takeaways that, that led to those improvements, both as a coach and as a person? Um, well, the biggest takeaways, I think, would be simplicity. Um, I think over here, we built, you know, we have these garments and all this technology and all these supplements and the way we have to eat. Well, over in Kenya, it's very simple. They run very hard. They do their very best. They eat all natural. They fuel their bodies um, rather than eating junk food and stuff like that. Um, it's not as hard as we think. Um, they don't really even have a, most of them don't have garments. And so they're just running by time and by feel. And clearly it's working for them. And so 
I think coming and then their easy days are really easy and their hard days are really hard. Um, so I guess if there's takeaways that I came back with, I already knew that, but it really put emphasis on it. You know, so I really tell my runners, make sure that your easy days are easy so we can nail those hard days and nutrition, make sure you're eating organic, real whole foods and fueling yourself with stuff that's going to help your running, not that's going to make it worse, you know, the packaged food and all that kind of stuff. So what was the disparity, if you could put a time on it, between easy days and some hard workouts? For them? Yeah. Uh, Actually, well, let's see. For instance, tempo work, the world best are going to be sub five, right? They're going to be four something per mile. And they were running some of their easy days with me, which would have been 830 and nine minute pace. So a huge I feel difference. like this needs to be a billboard outside of every running store. I know. Like that right? was so right? that's like they're literally running almost twice as slow. Right. I mean, you, I can't tell you how many of my runners that I've sent emails to. Do you know that you just ran a 710 on your easy run? The Kenyans are running nine and they're running a 415 for their marathon. How does this make sense? And so I can use the Kenyans now as an example. It's like, hey, if it's good enough for them, they are the world's best. Um, and everyone's like, oh, okay. And so that gives me a little credibility when I'm trying to explain to them to slow down in their easy days. Yeah, I would think so. And I, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, reading the book. Actually, I shouldn't say reading. I listen to most of my books. Um, mm-hmm. If you're listening to this show, then you know I love audio. That's why I created this show in the first place. So usually I'll listen to audio books instead of reading them. But one of them was um, the, way of, was it, the Way of the Runner by Adirond Finn, where he just goes to Kenya. and, and, and Yes, he, he, yes he, I read he, that book too. Yeah, so that, I thought that was really interesting. And one of the experiences he had, which I think you had as well, was the huge group fartlek workout. Yes, yes. And it was like, it sounded like basically like, it was almost like going to like an all-star game. And instead of watching from the stands, being able to like put on a jersey and, con- and like contribute. Yep. Every Thursday, every runner in Eaton, Kenya, <laughs> they all meet up and um, do a fartlek run. And it could be on a... a I think it's a five mile, it could be a 10 K or a 10 mile. And within that they'll do, you know, five times or they'll do two, two minutes on two off or one minute on one, whatever the fart like assigned that day. And they literally run till they drop. I mean, and it is so fast. We ran with them two Thursdays in a row, actually um, towards the back. And they were gone out of sight before I could blink to be quite honest. <laughs> and I thought I was going fast, but they left me in their dust. So I was eating Kenyan dust, which I'm okay with that. Yeah, I can imagine. So what was it? Also, I know I have another question. I know that you weren't with them for very long, considering how fast they are running. But Right. Which is funny, because, like, you're super fast, too. But so what was the disparity in their fartlek workout between, like, the hard up-tempo session, hard up-tempo segment versus the slow segment? I know this is, like, really granular, but, like, I mm-hmm. wish I was there to witness it. So I'm going to ask all these, like, really granular questions. Right. You know what? I honestly never asked that question. I think I should have. Um, I know they just slow it down a little bit, you know, so if it's one minute on off their one minute is, you know, obviously sub five, you know, four something. And then their off minute, they kind of go to an easy jog. And what that easy jog is, I honestly don't know. Okay. But a lot easier. So is it, so, so it's considerably easier. It's not like a floating pace. It's like considerably easier. I think it's considerably easier. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. But again, I can't, I can't put a pace number on that because I didn't ask that question, but you know what? I'm going to email somebody and ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm really curious and I want to find out. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, yeah, because also, you know, there's a lot of different ways of doing these workouts. I'm not saying there's one way better than another, but obviously the slower you go in your down segment, it allows you to go harder and faster in your fast segment, as opposed Which, to the right. closer the times get, then obviously, you know, it, it, ca- it kind of caps your high end speed. Right. And you want to recover during that, kind of like doing a stride. I mean, there's no sense in doing strides if you're not going to fully recover between strides, right? And so... um yeah, so that's that's definitely my guess that they because that's kind of how they run. Like the Kenyan saying is, when we run slow, everybody can run with us. When we run fast, nobody can run with us. That's an awesome saying too, man. I I'm know. Getting, we're getting a bunch of t-shirts out of this episode. <laughs> I know, that's right? For sure. uh, so, so what does the rest of the year look like for you? You just ran LA, so obviously nothing like no marathon coming up right now. But you, know, you got big dreams still coming up yeah. and you can't wait to achieve them. So what, what's on the calendar, long-term, short-term? Well, actually, I do have a marathon coming up because, remember, um, I only had my window for qualifying for the World Age Group Championship was September of 18 to September of 19, and I was injured the first six months. So I only have six months to get in two marathons. So I did my L.A., and I won my age group. I ran a 255, super happy with my performance based on my inconsistent training. And so now I am dialed in for the next 10 weeks for Duluth Marathon, um, Grandma's Marathon in June, on June 22nd. And so um, I'm recovering from the marathon. I'm concentrating on my strength training, making sure that my any imbalances are totally strengthened. Um, the last time I ran Grandma's Marathon was my first time trying to qualify for Olympic trials. So it would have been 2004 three or 2002 and I ran like a two I didn't make it there because I made it the following December but I ran like a 251 so you know it's kind of cool that if I can go back you know literally what is that eight, 15, 15 years ago 50, yeah 15 years later and run the same time and they and I know this is kind of corny but they have a grandma's award if you're the fastest grandma and I just think that would be really cool to bring that back to my grandkids and say look at you have the fastest grandma that is a um, sweet award, Susan. I know. Be... <laughs> I know. So I don't know if that makes anybody else excited, but it makes me really excited. <laughs> that is fantastic. Especially if you can beat the time that you got 15 years ago, I which know. Is, seems like it, there is potential there. There is potential. It is like, it's that one that's like right within my reach. You know, I can almost grasp it. And so I'm going to try to grab that. And um, I'd love to, you know, get enough points so I can go to the World Age Group Championship and more importantly, win that grandma's award. <laughs> that is fantastic. And so what is the, so I'm glad you brought this up because obviously you're now trying to thread the needle on a couple of different things here. So you right. have LA, which you're recovering from, you're right. coming off of an injury, which you have to be mindful of. Correct. And now you also have goals for an upcoming marathon. So how do you prepare your training to be kind of keep all of these things in mind at the same time? Well, that's a very good question. Um, recoveries first. And the nice thing is, um, oh man, I feel so grateful because I'm recovering really good and everything feels good. Um, so that's a good sign that my, I'm past the injury so that I can put out of my mind. So that is done. I'm not going to think about that, but my number one priority is going to be strength training and make sure that I keep every, all the parts moving. Right. Um, and swimming, I'm swimming twice a week and that's keeping me stretched out, giving me extra aerobic without having the pounding on my feet. And I've moved to just two workouts a week as opposed to three. Um, my body's, you know, not accepting three anymore. And so I'm doing speed work on Tuesdays and I'm incorporating all my um, acidosis threshold workouts on Saturdays with my long run. And then that way I've got plenty of recovery in between my um, hard sessions. And then I can add extra mileage in the pool 
and um, being super mindful of getting the strength training in. Um, and my massage therapist, not my massage therapist, my physical therapist, Renee Hodges and I are really going to do workout specific training between now and Duluth. Um, I really want to be at my best at Duluth. Got it. So you're really kind of, t- kind of trading your easy running days for swimming days. I'm still having my easy running days, but I can't really pile on any more mileage because you want to become a runner, better runner, you have to run more miles, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's in my personal best interest. And so I'm finding that I can get a little extra oomph in my aerobic capacity by swimming. And it's also helping me recover a little bit better because it's kind of a natural stretching and it just feels good when I'm done. And I don't even like to swim. But um, like I said, uh, BTB and triplex training have joined forces. And so we've added um, two days of group training swim sessions into the mix along with the track and everything else. Um, and so I'm doing that. So since I have people to do it with, it's I'm embracing it and I'm kind of liking it. Kind of liking it. I'm not going to lie. There you go. All right. So if people want to learn more about Believe, Train, Become, if they're kind of in your area or want to learn more about you personally, where can they do that? Um, they can go to my website, which is believetrainbecome.com. Believe in yourself, train to succeed, become your dream. And um, I'm on Instagram, Susan Loken. Um, or if they ever want to chat, I'm always willing to chat. They can call me. <laughs> there you go. And I really recommend following Susan on Instagram, just like your post today, man. You, like, you, bring, you basically bring it like a blog post. Yeah, uh, oftentimes. And it's really insightful stuff. So thank you for everything you're doing. And congratulations. I, you're just doing amazing things, Susan. I'm, I'm, I'm alternately really motivated by you. And sometimes like, oh, man, this woman, she just casts a pretty long shadow. It is really something else. So congratulations. Aww. Congratulations on all of your success. Oh, Matt, I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best with your running and your coaching and your podcast and all the amazing things that you're doing to motivate people out there in our running world. Oh, thank you, Susan. Have a great day. Okay, you too, Matt. Bye-bye. Thank you, Susan, for coming on the show. This was so much fun. If you can't be inspired by Susan's infectious personality, then shoot, I don't know what to tell you, man. She is really something else. Thank you so much, Mercury Mile, for being the presenting sponsor of the Rambling Runner podcast. I tell you, all my best stuff comes from them. I cannot recommend them highly enough. In the 100 to 150 people that have used my code with Mercury Mile, I get feedback all the time. They're so glad they did it, and it shows because, hey, man, they are really providing the best stuff to you, and you don't even need to leave the house. So thank you so much for listening to this show. It is greatly appreciated, and happy running.